Welcome. I'm Leah Carlson Downey, your host, and you are listening to Oscars Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the filmography of Oscar Isaac, presented by The Daily Drunk. For each episode, I invite a new guest on to chat with me about one project on Oscar Isaac's IMDb page. And this week, we're talking about Alex Garland's 2018 sci-fi horror film, Annihilation. Oscar Isaac has a small but pivotal role in this film. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how Annihilation fits into a kind of weird period in Oscar Isaac's career. We're also, of course, going to talk about what Oscar Isaac brings to his role in this film, despite his limited screen time. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the weirdness of the distribution strategy for this film and how it may be hamstrung this film's box office prospects. Here. Let me see him. He was extremely ill. You have to tell me where he was, what he was doing. It was his decision to go in. It's something they termed the shimmer. We've sent in drones and teams of people, but nothing comes back. But something has. You're a biologist. You served in the military. If I knew what happened, I could save his life. The boundary's getting bigger, it's expanding. We're talking cities, states. You need to know what's inside. So do I. So I am so excited to have Brian Sudfield here with me today to discuss Annihilation. Brian is a YouTube film critic as well as a podcaster. He hosts a podcast called Film Fragments that's super fun. You may have heard me on that podcast a few months ago. We gushed about Oscar Isaac together there, and Brian is back. He's joined me on Oscar's podcast to talk about Daddy Oscar once more. So welcome, Brian. <laughs> Leah, thank you for having me. I cannot wait to talk about Daddy once again. I'm so excited to be talking about good old dad, Oscar Isaac again. I'm so excited to be here. So when I asked you to be on the podcast, you chose Annihilation to discuss with me. And it's a great pick. Annihilation is from 2018. It is Oscar Isaac's second film with Alex Garland, after Ex Machina, of course. So Annihilation flopped at the box office. It did not make its budget back. I remember that the um, I remember that Paramount, like, dumped the film on Netflix internationally. It Yep. They knew that they did not have um, a accessible film on their hands, and they just kind of kind of wanted to get it done with. But people love this film, and I my experience with it, and you can um, kind of add yours if yours was different. But my experience with this film was that most people who saw it liked it right away. I mean, it was pretty critically well-received. In general, I feel like fans of Ex Machina also enjoyed Annihilation. Um, I don't know. It's kind of become a sci-fi classic really quickly. It was embraced, even though the box office was bad. It's it's very weird because when I saw this, I saw this opening weekend when it came out, and I remember my hype was through the roof because I was such a fan of Ex Machina. And obviously, other than Oscar Isaac, I mean, I love the entire cast in this movie. I'm a huge Natalie Portman fan, and I love sci-fi, psychological horror, like all 
that combined it to one, I was like, yeah, this is literally something that I will probably eat up. And I remember I went to go see this and it was pretty empty when I saw it. Now, granted, when you live in New Jersey, New Jersey people don't go see movies like this because I remember, if I'm not mistaken, this came out the same weekend as Black Panther and everyone was going to see Black Panther at that time for like the third or fourth time. And here I am with my friends going to see Annihilation, this quote-unquote pretentious art house sci-fi film. (laughs) And you know what? I mean, I was pretty positive about it. I walked out of it really floored by it. And my friends were just like, "Eh, it was okay. It was fine. And, (laughs) And yeah, and then all of a sudden, the movie was just gone from theaters. It was gone, like, immediately. It wasn't even there for, like, a week and a half like it was just i remember going on my amc app and looking at all my local theaters and all of a sudden annihilation was supposed to play like a certain night and then the morning of i went on the site and it was just not there and i was like what the heck is this but then i realized um you like you hinted at this was a gigantic flop financially and it's just so weird to me that Paramount is this high-profile mainstream studio. They produce so many big-budget blockbusters that we've all grown to either love or we just go to for the heck of them. And this was during a time where Paramount would just pump out these very weird movies that are aimed towards cinephiles and film geeks that aren't necessarily catered towards mainstream audiences like they had. They had Silence around this time, which was not for mainstream audiences. They had Mother, which was absolutely not for mainstream audiences. And then right before this, they had Downsizing, which was also not for mainstream audiences. So I think it's cool that Paramount let this movie come out and they decide, oh, we're going to back a movie like this because we don't want anyone to probably think of us as just the studio behind the Transformers movies. We want to show these people that we're more than just the people that give Michael Bay billions of dollars to have robots fighting each other. And it's really disappointing to see that this film was such a financial failure. But obviously, like you said, this has become like this big sci-fi classic. And the movie's only... It's crazy that it's almost five years old. It's nuts. I mean, everyone that I talked to at the time after I saw it, because I saw it and I also loved it, everyone that I talked to who had seen it really just wanted to talk about, like, what do you think it means? Like, everyone wanted to kind of try to decode it and chat about it and, like, pick it apart. And yeah, it's it was... one of those movies that you want to just talk about, like, yeah. as soon as it ends, because it's there's some movies that you go. Exactly, exactly. That's a good way to say it. When you watch certain movies in the theater, you're like, oh, I kind of saw that coming. And then you just walk out and then you just drive home and that's it. But then there are some instances where you see movies like Annihilation. Then all of a sudden you just stand out of the theater auditorium. And you just talk about it because you're like, what do you think this means? What do you think that means? Is that real? Was that fake? Like, was this all in her head? Was this all like actually happening? So it is a conversation starter. And we don't really get a lot of movies like that anymore, especially, like I said, released by mainstream high profile film studios. And I think that that's what's given Annihilation some of its staying power is that it raises all these questions that it doesn't necessarily answer. There's not really like one quote unquote correct reading of it. It's not a puzzle box film. It's not something where um, once you get to the end, everything's explained or there's a twist or whatever. And so I think that's been part of its staying power is that 
people want to watch it multiple times. They want to talk to people about it, other people about it, because it's, it's enigmatic. It's fascinating. It's not solvable necessarily. So yeah, it's a super fun movie to rewatch. Like I've seen it so many times. (laughs) And so I usually do a little quick um, plot synopsis. And I feel like in the case of this film, you can kind of give a plot synopsis, but it doesn't really encapsulate what the film is. But you, you basically have Natalie Portman's main character. She, her name is Lena, and she is a um, ex-military, and she also she studies like cellular biology. And her husband is still in the military. His name's Kane. That's Oscar Isaac's character. He goes on this secret mission. She knows nothing about it, and he's gone for a year and. Um, He's disappeared. Nobody knows where he's gone. And then all of a sudden he shows back up at the house, but he's different. He's not, he doesn't seem like himself. And so um, he gets ill. I guess that's an understatement. He starts spitting blood and is really dramatic. (laughs) (laughs) And then uh, he kind of goes into a coma and the, these special forces, the special forces unit kind of abducts Lena and, um, and Kane, the blood spitting Kane, they uh, steal them off the ambulance, basically, and take Lena and Kane to this compound. And um, what is there is the shimmer is what it's called. It's this site where these unexplained things are happening. These unexplainable things are happening. Kane and a team of men had gone into the shimmer. Kane was the only one who came out. And now he's in a coma. So Lena is trying to... Uh, find a way to get Kane out of the coma because she feels guilty because she's cheated on him, had an extramarital affair. Um, and so she and, uh, and this group, um, go into the shimmer and shit happens. <laughs> so, um, I think that's kind of like the most succinct plot summary I can, I can give. It, it is. That's the best way to describe the movie to people who haven't seen it. Like that's the best way. <laughs> sell people on the movie <laughs> so yeah oscar isaac is in this movie it's a smaller role than i think a lot of people expected um because of the size of oscar isaac's role in ex machina um and he's i think one of only two kind of returning actors from ex machina that came back for annihilation sonoyo or sonoya mizuno is also in um, Annihilation. Yes. Ex Machina. But yeah, he has, it's a small but impactful role. Um, and I'm really excited to talk with you about it because he, even though he's not on screen for a long, for a lot of time, he is doing some really interesting stuff. But before we get into talking about Oscar Isaac in Annihilation, I have to ask you, what movie made you an Oscar Isaac fan? That's what I have to ask all of my guests on this show before we get into the Oscar talk. Okay, so this isn't going to be a surprise to anybody. This is not going to be some new answer that everyone's like, oh my God, this is so out of left field. It's, of course, Inside Lewin Davis. Of course, that's the film that made me become a fan of Oscar Isaac. I remember going to see it when it came out as someone who loves the Coen brothers and someone who loves movies about musicians and the rest of the ensemble. I remember watching the trailer and being like, who is this Oscar Isaac guy? Like, I've never seen him before. I've never heard of him. But Coen Brothers, sure, I'll watch it. And instantaneously, I became a fan, and I've been a fan ever since. And he's been daddy ever since. 
<laughs> All right. So you've been you've been an Oscar fan since his first leading role. I love that. I have, I yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I feel like for people like us who are big fans of Oscar Isaac and have followed him for most of his career, it's always really weird when he shows up in these films with in these tiny supporting roles. Right. Mm -hmm. Like particularly, I mean, this film came out in 2018. It was while the Star Wars sequel trilogy was coming out. You know, I think Oscar Isaac was in a position in his career where he was, you know, trying to take leading man roles. People were kind of considering him as a leading man. And then he's in Annihilation for like a grand total of seven minutes. But yeah, I was surprised when I saw Annihilation for the first time. I was surprised by how little Oscar Isaac is in it. Yeah, same, same. I And it's funny, too, because I was looking into, like, why he was in it for a short period of time. I mean, obviously, when I had seen the movie, I realized, okay, I guess this makes sense for the sake of the storytelling. But I was like, was it a scheduling thing? And it turns out that The Last Jedi was actually filming the same time as this so i so think it makes sense snuck away he <laughs> like snuck away he literally <laughs> like ryan johnson probably just let him go like there was probably a week where they sh weren't shooting anything with poe dameron he's like all right go film alex garland's new movie then come back here to england to film last <laughs> jedi <laughs> uh, i mean it's funny because this was kind of a weird period in Oscar isaac's career because i feel like outside of the star wars films he was just doing Projects that made no sense to anyone. Literally no sense. Like people who were following his career were like, what are you doing? <laughs> Suburbicon? Like what? Yeah. I mean, if you look at, you know, his his IMDb page in 2016, you have X-Men Apocalypse, notoriously bad. He's in The Promise, which is like a historical drama about the Armenian genocide. He's in Operation Finale in 2018, which is another historical drama. Then he's got like Triple Frontier in 2019. He's got Life Itself in 2018, another notoriously oh bad film. So he's just got sandwiched in between the Star Wars films, all of these weird projects that don't seem to really reflect how people were talking about him as a celebrity or as a star or right. as an actor. Um, and so Annihilation is interesting because it's one of the few films, one of the few non-Star Wars films he was doing during those years that people liked. Mm -hmm. But he's, he's, his role is so small. Um, so it's, it's, it's really interesting because when I talk to people, you know, about what some of their favorite films of Oscar Isaacs are, like Annihilation will come up. Um, but yeah, he's, it's, it's a weird one in his filmography, I think. It is. It absolutely is. And it's sad, too, when you watch it as an Oscar Isaac fan, because you're <laughs> like, oh, that's it. That's all he's in. But honestly, for his time on screen, he is really excellent in the film. And some of the sequences that like, I mean, yeah, you talked about how he comes back and then he like spits out the blood, which, of course, was disgusting, even though he was still daddy in that moment. Um, I think that my it's funny my personal favorite scene in the movie you know a lot of people talk about all oh, the big ending where it's her and the alien and everything which is a fantastic that's incredible i love that scene so much but honestly the scene to me that like really guts me every time i think about this movie or every time i've seen the movie is when they're watching 
the video camera footage of when they're inside Mm -hmm. and how the video camera gets left behind and he's filming everything. Then you see him with that disheveled beard and he looks terrified and it, it it gets to me every time (laughs) it it freaks me out. And it's one of the best scenes in that entire movie, because like throughout the entire movie, you're getting a lot of suspense and it's building up and everything. But I feel like that was the first moment for me, at least when I watched the movie and I was actually legit terrified because then you see all the creatures and you hear all the sounds and you're questioning what's going on, but you're just so immersed because of one Oscar being on screen. And also with how Alex Garland presents that scene, there's a lot of tension. It doesn't show you everything. It cuts when it has to cut. And then it shows you when you have to see something, which I appreciate about Alex Garland. He's not the kind of filmmaker that when he makes something that requires a lot of attention, he doesn't show everything, but he also cuts away when he's supposed to, because if like, if you cut away the whole time, then it's going to lack the tension or it could make it more terrifying depending on how you are. But in this case scenario, it really works for how the story is being presented and how it escalates. And even though likely Bob Oscar has such little time on screen, he's obviously such a pivotal piece to the story because this is what basically makes Lena go into the shimmer with these scientists and try to figure out what the fuck is going on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I honestly feel kind of weird focusing this episode on Oscar Isaac, because obviously I'm going to, because it's an Oscar Isaac podcast, but Annihilation is such a fantastic female-led sci-fi. It is. And I love all the actresses in it. Natalie Portman is fantastic. Um, it's Gina Rodriguez is in it. She's great. And Tessa Thompson. And um, Jennifer Jason Lee. Jennifer Jason Lee. And I love this film for it being female-led sci-fi. Absolutely. But, th- but that being said, I do think that... If I were Alex Garland, it totally makes sense to me why he called up Oscar Isaac for this role of Kane, because the film, as you said, does kind of hinge around Kane's character. And this film is an adaptation of a 2014 novel by Jeff Vandermeer of the same name. I have not read the novel, but from what I understand, it's much more kind of abstract mm-hmm. um, that this film is a loose adaptation of the novel. And what the film really does is it adds sort of emotional stakes to the novel, which doesn't, isn't necessarily concerned with that. Yeah. Um, And how Alex Garland adds those stakes is through the character of Kane. And that character has to be perfectly cast. That character has to be played by an actor who can communicate so much with so little time Uh, because Oscar Isaac, he has, six scenes in the film. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of them are flashbacks. And he does have to communicate a lot um, with very little screen time. And Oscar Isaac is the man to do it. Like, I think, Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think his, he's so impactful in the role. I think that another actor may not have been able to pull it off in the same way. Right. So, I mean, it makes sense to me that Alex Garland got at the phone and was like, Hey, Oscar, come help me out. (laughs) Um, because yeah, you need, you need someone who has that, has that kind of gravity, has that kind of screen presence to make an impact with very little dialogue. And you need someone 
who can play two different characters. So that's something I wanted to talk to you about with this mm-hmm. film. Because I, as I've been doing this podcast, there's a recurring theme. Oscar Isaac loves to do dual characters. And I had not really put it together until I started watching all of his films in succession. And of course, we started this podcast with Moon Knight, which is like an extreme example. Um, but as I've been going through his films, I'm like, yeah, Oscar Isaac loves to do this. I think Kane is another dual character, right? Yes. Yes. You have Kane before he goes into the shimmer, and then you have Kane, not Kane, who comes out. Mm -hmm. Um, So, do you want to talk to me a little bit about how Oscar Isaac uh, plays those two different characters? Yeah, it's quite interesting because the Kane that we see before he goes on this mission is definitely more lay back and more like you know he's like he's like a fun husband type of character like he's definitely more outgoing and socializing but then the cane that comes back that is not cane he's the complete 180 he's very quiet he's very stoic he's questioning so many things and like he the way he just answers questions she's like are you are you the real cane he's just like i don't know yeah, I think he says, I don't think so. Is what he I, don't th- I don't I don't think, think so. so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he it's very monotone. And we don't really see Oscar play characters like that because Oscar's characters are very more. energy. I mean, yeah, they're very chill and everything, but he doesn't really play mellow or stoic. At least I can't think of a time where he's done that. It's very it's very rare. That's the where I'm going with this. But I think it's interesting that he was able to balance this so many. And again, there's some actors that aren't able to do so many different things if they're playing two different types of characters. Like, obviously, like we saw this further in Moon Knight because he literally played two different personalities and he was a character that had um, DID. And, you know, you could have watched that and be like, oh my God, this is awful. But the way he depicted it, I mean, he literally went in with the different personalities which is impressive and you can't really say that about most actors that have tackled that on screen but i like how oscar portraying kane is again very out of left field for him and how he presents that so i thought it was a very interesting approach i didn't really think about that the first time i saw the movie but then when i rewatched it not too long after that i was like yeah this is a very interesting way to approach this character and i think it benefits greatly with what's going on because again you're confused as to if this is the real Kane. i mean you get the vibe that it's not but you're him saying i don't think so it makes you wonder maybe this is the real Kane, but he just doesn't know if he's the real Kane, or maybe this is a fake Kane. so you don't you don't know exactly what it's going and that again that adds to the brilliance of how alex garland presents this through his script and his directing and through the actor's performances. Yeah. I mean, cause you need an actor with the range, right? To yes. be charming and warm in the flashback scenes. I mean, I love the flashback scene of Lena and Kane in bed before he goes on his mission. Um, that scene communicates so much about their relationship and communicates so much about you know, the type of person Kane was before he went into the shimmer and came back out changed. Um, and it's, it's just cute. And Oscar Isaac is like very sexy in it and very, he's like teasing Lena. It's very, yeah, it just feels like a very lived in scene. Um, and that's such a contrast to the scene that we get 
prior, you know, when the changed cane comes home and he's so flat and stoic. It, it kind of feels a bit like not, it's a kind of, I'm trying to think of how to describe it. It's like when you see someone coming back from like the war or some mission, it's kind of a different approach to PTSD because PTSD is so different for everybody. And obviously this is a whole different scenario, but I think, and I'm sure maybe someone has said this before, but it really kind of is like PTSD, but in a very unique way where it's not the cliche type of PTSD, because obviously this is a sci-fi movie. So it's very out of left field with how it's approached. And yeah, I mean, I feel like it's, it's Oscar Isaac's performance that kind of, that kind of suggests that, right? Because What's interesting about the passages of the film where he is changed, where Kane is changed, um, is that Oscar Isaac, he, he goes quiet and he's stoic, but he doesn't, he doesn't go flat, if that makes sense. Like, there's still this sense that there's something going on inside, like inside, but it's just, he's locked it down. Um, and I think that that's, that's difficult to do. In all of the scenes, Oscar Isaac brings this kind of compelling presence where you want to watch him, you're drawn in, whether he's, you know, quiet and stoic and changed, or whether he's being, you know, flirty and sexy and cute, or whether he is losing his mind in the shimmer. Like, he's just a very compelling screen presence. And he kind of, he anchors the the story in a lot of ways, um, which I think you had used that word previously. And, and I agree with that. Yeah. Did you have any last thoughts about Oscar Isaac and Annihilation or Annihilation in general? Honestly, I really do believe that even though this was a film that was very polarizing and it was a box office flop and it came out super early in the year, I really think that this is a technical achievement because, again, we get a lot of blockbusters that are so reliant on CGI and some of some of them turn out to look amazing and others turn out to be like Thor love and thunder, for instance, where they just look and no, no cap, no disrespect to any of the Marvel stands that are listening to this episode. Seriously, no disrespect, but annihilation. And I'm looking this up right now as we speak. So annihilation, it costs 40 to $55 million. So there's no specific um, amount, but for a movie to cause in that range, so for a mid-budget movie, the visuals look really excellent here, and I'm really happy with the turnout of that. And also, I think the score is very euphoric in this, especially during that scene that everybody talked about with Natalie versus the creature. Because I mean, that scene, it kind of felt akin to something that was in under the skin. That's what I thought of the entire time. And I love that movie so much. It's one of the best sci-fi films to come out in the last 10 years. And this one is also one of the best, but I don't know. I found Annihilation to be this kind of sci-fi movie that I love where it isn't necessarily focusing on the scope. It's more so focusing on the characters and we don't get a lot of sci-fi like that. And for Alex Garland to be able to do that really just blows my mind. And I love that he got to do it. And it disappoints me that this movie did financially poorly. But I get it. It was a very hard movie to market. And it is a hard movie to sell. And based on the star power, it's like you should have gone to see it. And also, it is disappointing that you get this 
high profile studio film headlines by women and nobody saw it. And it's very disappointing to see that because we don't have many female led blockbusters nowadays. And for us to have one where it's led by five fantastic actresses and a you know, pretty fantastic film and no one saw it. It's really, it, it honestly breaks my heart, but I'm happy that within the last few years, us cinephiles, us film geeks, us film fans have celebrated this film and constantly acknowledged it for its achievements and for its ambition and for its wildly provocative story and it's great. And it also has, in my opinion, one of the best performances from Natalie Portman, who I think is one of the best actors working today. And she's also someone that's able to have so much range. She's the kind of actor that has done practically everything in her career, which is great. I mean, she could be in something so big like a Star Wars or a Thor and then she could do something like a Black Swan, which is so thrilling. And then she could do something so intimate like a Closer or a Garden State. And then she does this. and. It's incredible. And she's also an actor that's able to convey stoic natures really beautifully, like really well. And then she's able to be very lovely and bubbly and energetic. And it's it just shows how much range she has. So I'm a big fan of Annihilation. I prefer Ex Machina over this. I'm definitely a bigger fan of that over this. And I think we talked about how I wasn't too over the moon about men. But that being said, I'm still excited to see what Alex Garland does next behind the camera. I think he's a phenomenal writer. I think when he writes, it delivers like 28 Days Later is one of the best screenplays ever, in my opinion. And he he's just incredible. And the entire film is incredible. And you know what? Even though Oscar Isaac was in it for what feels like five minutes, he <laughs> delivered every single scene. It was the best five minutes of my entire life. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you you talk about like the film people seeing it as too challenging and whatnot, because that was kind of, you know, there was a lot of behind the scenes drama with this film, you know, there was, yeah. Um, one of the producers really wanted to make changes to it. And they, he wanted to make Natalie Portman's character more sympathetic, I think is what he said. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I, I know that he wanted to change the ending as well, um, to make it more, um, definite, you know, less kind of ambiguous. Luckily, uh, it was another producer who had final cut privileges. And he was like, No, I'm not going to change the film. And so I think that kind of that those behind the scenes conflicts did. Lead yeah, to they were concerned Paramount. that the film they were concerned that the film was too intellectual or too complicated. And then the producer that um, had the final cut privileges, like you said, he defended the film. He's like, no, we're not changing. He's like, no, we're not changing anything. We're keeping the film the way that Alex wants it. And that's how it's going to be. Yeah. And so I think that those behind the scenes conflicts led to the film getting dumped and it created this perception around the film before it even came out. Um, but I'm so glad that it didn't get touched because this, as you were saying, we do get very few um, studio films led by women, much less sci-fi. Um, and we get so few complicated female protagonists in mainstream studio films. Um, and I, I love that Lena in this film and all of the other scientists who go into the shimmer with her, like they're all, you know, none of them are quote unquote, like likable or your typical kind of Mary Sue, badass action hero. Like they all have flaws and they're allowed to have flaws, particularly Lena. I mean, the whole her, the whole story 
line about her cheating on Kane and like her guilt is what's fueling this. I love it. And I'm so glad that they didn't change it. If they had changed it, like this film would not be the classic that it is, obviously. Um, it's interesting that, you know, I feel like the way that we're talking about this film as it being kind of intellectual and complicated, like that is kind of a narrative that was preset before the film even came out. Um, and I think it scared some people off from seeing it, which is a shame. But I'm glad that Annihilation did eventually find its audience. Um, because like I said, I, I know people love this film. Um, and there's so much good writing about it on the internet. <laughs> it's, 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 it's literally so good that that year, 2018, there were so many bangers of films. That was a great year for film. I was, this was in my top 10 literally all year until literally the last two weeks of the year, <laughs> the last two weeks of the year, because I saw like if Beale street and I saw hope Spider-Man and I saw, um, Oh my God, I don't even remember, but I saw so many movies that last week. I was like, oh no, Annihilation has to leave the top 10. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was so annoyed because that was the longest a film ever stayed in my top 10. And yeah, then it, it just left. In February, so it Literally mid-February. Yeah, and, and I need to correct myself. It didn't come out the same week as Black Panther. It came out the weekend after Black Panther, but the weekend it came out, uh, Game Night came out, which was a pretty great movie as well. And that was a kind of a, that one had some legs at the box office, didn't it? Like that one did pretty well. It did do pretty well. It did well critically. And then it did financially pretty well for uh, a mainstream studio comedy that wasn't your typical mainstream studio comedy. Mm -hmm. So thank you for joining me to discuss Annihilation. It's been a fun conversation. Uh, watching this film again with my eye toward what Oscar Isaac is doing in it. I appreciated his performance so much more this time around because, you know, I was paying attention to it in in a more focused way, I guess, because it, it, it works so well. It's easy to kind of just take for granted, like, ah, whatever. But yeah, it's 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 a, it's a rich performance for as little time as he gets. I really enjoyed having you on to discuss it. Uh, thanks for sharing your thoughts on it and on the film. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I'm really glad that I got to be on here with you today. Thank you. So before I let you go, uh, do you want to remind our listeners where they can find you if they'd like to hear more from you? Absolutely. So you guys can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and YouTube simply at Brian Suffield. And you guys can subscribe to my podcast, Film Fragments, available on any podcasts and platform of your choice. We have a guest on every week talking about their top five favorites from an actor, director, genre of their choice. I had Leia a few months ago on to talk about Oscar Isaac, like she said at the top. And that was a very fun discussion. So if you guys want to hear more of her already discussing way more about Oscar Isaac than <laughs> ever before, head on over to the Film Fragments and listen to our discussion about Oscar Isaac. We have so many great topics coming your way. And yeah, that's where you guys could find me online. Great. I will make sure to link all of your stuff in the episode description. So if our listeners didn't have a pen and paper handy, uh, you can find the links in the, in the description. So thanks again. As usual, I'm going to wrap up with the red string section. This is the portion of the episode where I look for patterns in Oscar Isaac's filmography that may or may not be, but probably slash definitely are not significant. I did start a virtual cork board for this podcast project, which I update after every episode or so, so you can now follow along as I slowly turn into the Charlie Kelly Pepe Sylvia meme. So without further ado, here is your handful of Annihilation-related Oscar Isaac facts for you to read into as you wish. So first of all, 
Annihilation is, of course, Oscar Isaac's second collaboration with writer-director Alex Garland. Their first project together was Ex Machina. Second, Natalie Portman also starred in some Star Wars films, but she was in the prequel trilogy, of course, and Oscar Isaac was in the sequel trilogy. We mentioned that Annihilation and The Last Jedi were filming at the same time, and they were actually filming on adjacent studio lots. So during the press tour for Annihilation, Oscar Isaac actually talked about how he would film scenes for both movies on the same day, which is wild. Finally, there's a lot of Marvel connections in Annihilation. Uh, Natalie Portman, Benedict Wong, and Tessa Thompson, who also appear in Annihilation with Oscar Isaac, have also all taken roles in various Marvel projects. If I missed anything, if I missed any connections, please let me know. I want my corkboard to be as complete as possible. So you can find me on Twitter at Oscars Podcast. That's podcast with two A's. Thank you again for tuning in for this episode of Oscars Podcast presented by The Daily Drunk. I'm Leah Carlson Downey, your host, and I hope you'll join us next time.